The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned. Because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Uh, Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. And uh, let's see, we've got on the right, um, actually uh, sitting in for Henry. Henry's off today. We have a former high-ranking official in two public administrations. He uh, was the head of the uh, IRS and a high-ranking official at INS, Mark Everson. Good morning, Mark. How are you, gentlemen? Morning, Mark. And and Good last morning. And last but not least... We have joining with us uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Hi, Bobby. Good morning. Hey, glad to join you, gentlemen. Hi, Bobby. And and Bobby Hello. also worked at the IRS, so we're uh, we're, yeah. we're we're well staffed <laughs> today for our audit of current events and yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and politics. Uh, but as uh, as you all know, we uh, we start out with uh, some quotes. And I have actually a couple finish the quotes uh, 
this week. Um, the first one, um, this is where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? When a man opens a car door for his wife, it's what? Mm. How would you finish hey, it? It's a good idea. It's as it's being polite or something, but I'm not sure where to go with that one. Now, you're going to be surprised where this goes and who it came from. When a man opens a car door for his wife, it's either a new car or a new wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know who said that? Prince no. Philip. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> and, and a little unexpected. I don't, I don't always think of uh, Prince Philip as having a sense of humor, but he did. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, a good quote. And and here's here's another one that's a, a finish the quote. If you are sure you understand everything that is going on, you are what? Probably not paying attention or something like that. Yes, I would say that's true. Yeah. Well the actual quote was if you are sure you understand everything that is going on, you are hopelessly confused. <laughs> <laughs> That was Ma the the late Walter Mondale. Uh, you know, Walter Mondale was my very first political crush. I just thought he was wonderful. Yeah, I've got a I got a picture on my wall of of a rally in 1984 in Lansing when he was running, uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a campaign where he went down in flames, but it was an interesting campaign. Oh, I think he was a sacrificial lamb on that one. Wasn't I think he, that's true. Probably. Wasn't he on the receiving end of uh, one of Ronald Reagan's most famous quotes? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. I, I, I won't let uh, age be a factor. <laughs> no, <laughs> youth and inexperience. Youth and inexperience, I think he said. That's right, yeah, that's I, right, yeah. It's interesting. My take on Mondale is uh, he had nothing to do with that loss. I mean, it really was all about Reagan. I think I think George McGovern lost because of George McGovern and because of his policies were were um, just not accepted by the country. But I think Reagan would have won that election no matter what. I mean, he just was. Yeah, I think in '84 that's probably true. Yeah, it was. It was. I think you're right. And and the interesting thing, my one of my favorite stories, Tom, is. Uh, and I, I think this line is true, but apparently after he lost in 84, uh, uh, Mondale was talking to McGovern at some point, who, you know, had lost uh, 12 years earlier. And he said, how long does it take you to get over this? <laughs> and uh, uh, supposedly McGovern said to him, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. And, and I just, um, I got schooled a little bit in the last hour. I was uh, talking with um, Hadassah Lieberman, Joe Lieberman's wife. Yeah, I heard about uh, that interview. Yeah. She has a, a new uh, memoir out called Hadassah, an American Story. And she recounted the, uh, the 2000 election. And what it was like with um, her and Joe and uh, uh, Al Gore and, and Tipper um, together at the vice president's residence as uh, the Supreme Court was considering the case in Florida. Right. 
And, mm-hmm. yeah. and and it was really interesting hearing it from her perspective and, and what she had to say about, you know, it stings, ouch, move on. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. she, you know, used it indirectly as a way of saying this idea of, of carrying that grudge forever is, is not healthy. Yeah, I think, I think the problem, um, and of course I've run reluctantly twice, I think the problem is people might run uh, and take it personally. It isn't a personal, it's just, it's political, it's not personal, and if we only go into a race being um, powerful if we win, we forget the power of running because... Bobby, did we lose you? Bobby? Are you there, yeah. Bobby? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. you dropped out there for a minute. Kind of, kind of oh. cut out for a while. Well, I think... Oh, I, pro- I probably got got on my high horse and you couldn't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're preaching to the choir with Mark on the panel today. He uh, ran for president in uh, the 2016 yeah. uh, election and uh, dropped out after Iowa. And I, one of my favorite quotes of all time was when Mark told me I should have started in New Hampshire. <laughs> well, um, yeah. uh, nobody cares about that race, at least my race. But uh, <laughs> let me just go back. Let me go back to Lieberman uh, and the point you made about uh, grudges first. In, in One of the things I've realized in my personal life, I'm 66 now, is that it just takes an incredible amount of energy to nurse a grudge. And uh, that is not constructive for a person, and it's not constructive for a country or a part of a country. So, But uh, I do want to say I knew Joe Lieberman pretty well, and, and uh, because he was chairman of the Senate uh, Government Affairs Committee when I was first at OMB, and so he confirmed at me twice, and then I worked with him. He had a role... As you know, Tom, I worked on the creation of the Homeland Security Department, and he had had a uh, uh, he had put together a proposal that was uh, in part a basis for what ultimately happened. But he just was a lovely individual and very fair. He listened to people when he was in in those in in the Senate, and uh, I just had a lot of respect for him. It's just so interesting because I think McCain seriously, I think McCain wanted Joe Lieberman to be his running mate. But he was, you know, concerned or, and that the party would sort of repudiate him and he wouldn't turn out the base. But uh, Lieberman's just a class act. He really is. Yeah, I remember the talk about McCain thinking about thinking about Lieberman as a running mate during in that year. That would have been would have been an interesting contest if it had happened. Exactly, it's something of a fusion ticket, and uh, it yeah. uh, would have been, would have been very different, and you know, Palin looked very good initially, but uh, in the end, I think she was a drag on the ticket. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. For for two weeks, I, it looked like a very smart move to pick up the anti the Hillary vote, but uh, yeah. after two weeks and a few interviews, that's true. Yeah, but you know, people have said the same about Mondale's choice of uh, Geraldine Ferraro that she wasn't vetted well enough and uh, brought some baggage that came up in the campaign that sort of dragged the ticket down too. It's interesting, yeah, well, Bobby. Some connection with her husband, wasn't it? That came up in '84. It was yes. an issue for a while. Yeah, but as, as as Mark said, I think in '84, as I say, I don't know that it was any Democrat who would have won that year, uh, realistically. No, it's, inter- no. 
No, no, it's good. What I was going to say was, is, Bobby, um, yesterday I read a couple of the obituaries of Mondale, and uh, you know, I, I had a lot of respect for him. And, and then I there was a link, and I read the obituary of Ferraro, and I had said, when did she die? I couldn't remember, and she died in like 2011 or something. But uh, the, the things that people said about her, she was she got sort of chopped up. She made a couple of bad quotes, but she was highly regarded. She'd only been in for three terms when he took picked her, but. She was well regarded as the real deal, and and uh, it's interesting. She, I think, she sort of suffered from. You know, she was a she broke uh, through in a very important historic way, of course. But I'm not sure she wouldn't have had a longer, more successful career in public service as a legislator. Just uh, she wasn't perhaps done any favors by that uh, that that sort of detour. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Mark. Well, let me let me squeeze this one uh, in here real quick before we go to break. It's uh, one of the quotes of the week that caught my attention. I don't want to get ahead of the CDC and the FDA and the advisory committee, but I would imagine uh, that what we will say is that it would come back and it would come back in some sort of either warning or restriction. It's Donald Trump. No, 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 no. That was, uh, <laughs> no, I, doctor. That was a joke. It was a joke. It was indeed. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National yeah. Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, said Sunday that he expects a decision to be made about the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine oh. by Friday, predicting the vaccine would come back on the market with restrictions or warnings. Has the pause in the use of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine caused the decline in willingness to take it and possibly other vaccines for the coronavirus. You know, I think I, I wonder if it hasn't. I'm surprised to hear that all of a sudden now there are these vaccine clinics waiting for waiting for people to show up, and they've got more vaccine than they have uh, arms uh, have patients. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain segment of the population that's very skittish, and I think that probably would drive them over the edge. I I think it's absolutely the case. I live down in Mississippi, and uh, there are a certain cohort in the population that has always been very reticent, and they're just saying right now, see, I told you. Yeah. And uh, I, I think this is, mm-hmm. you know, to me, the CDC and, and the FDA, and uh, the, they did a great job getting these vaccines out, but there have been so many missteps, and I think this is one of the worst because you've had exactly one fatality, as I understand it, in seven and a half million doses. And... Uh, you know, you're as likely to get strangled by the uh, microphone on your console right now, Tom, or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. But I heard that. I was, I was, I was suspect there are people who were driving to the uh, to a, to a, to get their shot, and somebody got in an accident and was was killed here and there. There's no connection, obviously. But I mean, when you look at those numbers, yeah, everything in life has got a risk. Walking across the street is takes on a slight risk in some ways. Yeah, eating a hot dog. Yeah, it's just terribly. It's just terribly unfortunate because it's it's the whole thing about the pandemic has been. Uh, I understand it. It's a it's a try to make each life uh, important, but there are always these offsetting costs that are frankly far greater. And the schools being kept closed, all of these different things, we've always erred on the side of stamping out one additional case of the virus. Or I got I got to interrupt you there, Mark, which is appropriate because that's what I usually do to Henry. Everybody We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with Paul Rosicki on the left, Mark Everson on the right, and we're joined by political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Welcome back, everybody. Um, I, I did want to mention, uh, we talked uh, for a moment in the last break about uh, Hadassah um, Lieberman and her new memoir, Hadassah, An American Story. And I did want to mention that... Um, this last week or two, we've got our uh, archives up and running, and that interview, if you missed it and want to hear it, will be available in the archive uh, later today. So it, it's it's a pretty interesting story she tells about uh, being born in Czechoslovakia to parents that survived the Holocaust, and then uh, you know being a, an American immigrant and um, <laughs> ending up. <clears throat> married to uh, a U.S. senator and campaigning with him for vice president and then later president. It's uh, in one generation. It's a pretty uh, a pretty interesting story, mm. and she has a lot of interesting uh, tales within those confines to share. Uh, but all right, uh, Tom. Tom, though, yeah, I got to go ask ahead, a Mark. question. You're the panelist, since you always try to stump us. Who did he defeat when he ran for uh, Senate? Oh man. You've completely stumped hmm. me, Mark. Um, part of a dying. Oh, I'll give you a big hint. In, part of a part of a dying breed. In Connecticut. Um, uh, Chris Dodd. No, Lowell Weicker. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I would. It, it, I would not have uh, remembered yeah. that if you gave me all day, Mark. I was in the Reagan administration, and Jorge Moss, who was the leader of the Cuban Americans, put together a lot of money, and they did fundraisers for um, uh, for uh, Lieberman because they hated Weicker. Weicker was, uh, you know, soft on Cuba is what they felt. So, uh, mm. it was, you know, there are other reasons, but but uh, that was it. And I think Weicker came back, as if I recall, as an independent, became governor or something. But anyway, it was just. Uh, well, it was quite a story because he was not a natural. I think he was the mayor of uh, New Haven or something, or where was he mayor? He was a mayor someplace, wasn't he? Hmm. That that could be. That could be. Yeah, yeah, anyway, I, all right. Sorry to hijack <clears throat> that, but he, he's, it's an interesting story. I I was uh, you know very proud of myself for remembering when I was talking with uh, Hadassah Lieberman this morning that he had been a, a pivotal part of the negotiations uh, over Obamacare. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. but yeah. there's a, a, another quote that I didn't quite get to before we move on to some other things um, that I wanted to share. It's uh, kind of interesting. My wife and family have forgiven me for the mistakes of the past, but politics is less forgiving. Mm. Any idea who said that? Oh. It was, that was Verge Bernero. Oh, oh yes! Oh yeah! I've seen the stories about him lately. Yeah, and and oh. uh, not to leave Mark out of this, Virg Bernero was a uh, charismatic leader who built a national brand as America's angriest mayor 
by going to bat for the city of Lansing. He has connections all over the city and some statewide poll as well. He was the Democratic candidate for governor in 2010. <clears throat> he had mounted another mayoral run, which he abruptly ended Sunday after women um, told M. Live he had sexually harassed them. Yeah, I saw those stories. Is yeah. politics <clears throat> less forgiving? Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I used to always tell people, if you don't want to see whatever you've ever done in your life on the front page of the Washington Post, don't run for office. True. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember, Tom, the time when you did the radio show in Lansing at the uh, the ballpark. It was Virg Bonero was your guest, and he was the... Uh, he got on the phone. And he was a sitting angry. mayor of Lansing at the time. Sitting mayor of Lansing, and he was going to bring donuts, and somehow the donuts hadn't arrived. And he got on the phone and was, was <laughs> jumping all over some, one of his aides to bring in those donuts. We want those donuts here. So <laughs> oh, he, he, <laughs> yeah. But, he, you know, he did, he did a good job with Lansing. I was impressed with what they did with replacing their, um, their pipes for their plumbing over the years. That's right. Flynn could have learned a lot from that. Yeah, he, right. um, he he actually was good. I, I, I'm I'm not surprised that you remember that. I remember that too. Um, for uh, for Bobby and Mark, we we took armchair politics to Lansing. We were at the uh, ball stadium in one of the owners' uh, boxes, and we did the show from there. And Verge was my guest in the hour preceding armchair politics, and 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 you. Um, rightly remembered the donut part of the story paul <laughs> because he just chewed out his staff and said and in words that i can't share said well then i will bleep and do it myself and he left and went and got donuts and came back <laughs> that's right yeah and yeah. uh well, and and yeah. He used to refer to the uh, Lansing City Council as the City Council. <laughs> oh, well, he, he should visit Flint. <laughs> so I guess the, char the charm is not one of his big, big uh, attributes. The, the other uh, part of this, you know, forgiveness and uh, politics and everything else, uh, my own advice is uh, there was a story down here, you may have seen this, about a guy who was contemplating... Uh, I think it was a Senate run to replace Shelby in Alabama, and he made the mistake of denying something about a former girlfriend, but she kept the tape of a very steamy conversation. So, you know, you just be, uh, be aware that you're, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, and he, he dropped the, uh, he, he backed out of the contest immediately. But uh, there are a lot of electronic evidence right now and going to a serious thing like the George Floyd, the trial yesterday. And a lot of the people feel this was the change here is, of course, because of the the electronic evidence, the videos That's, and things yeah. like that. Yeah, they, yeah I know the, the, the videos have changed so much about those things. Those, those instances have happened for a long time, but now all of a sudden now with cell phones, everybody's got a video camera. Well, <laughs> with that one, and, and we'll get to that um, a little bit later, um, and we'll talk about it some more, but it's it's the thing that's going to be interesting about that is the sentencing. Yeah. That yeah. that um, people, are, <laughs> I think people are going to yeah. be very divided about that, uh, almost regardless of how it goes. But um, 
But let's let's uh, move on to, so we can get some other things in. The, the company that manages Flint's program for replacing lead and galvanized water service lines is back on the job and predicting the effort mm. that started five years ago could be completed by early summer. Rick Freeman of Rural Professional Services told the city council, I almost slipped on that, April 14th that he hopes the final... Uh, Approximately 500 service lines that still need to be excavated in the city will have been checked and replaced if needed by June or July. After two months of delays, the council approved an extension of Rose contract with the city through a $500,000 change order by a vote of 7-0. to zero. First Ward Councilman Eric Mays, of course, abstained from the vote. The question is, is this the end of it? Depends on how you define it. The end of public mistrust of the water, the end of the political football. Um, I don't see it as the end of the issue. No. I, to, to, to use the Churchill phrase, it may be the beginning of the end, <laughs> but it's not the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the city council may have found an issue everyone can agree on, putting more money into cleaning up Flint. Several council members, including President Kate Fields and Eric May, suggested Monday that Mayor Sheldon Neely's proposed budget needs more money to combat blight, one of the most common complaints from residents. Neely's proposed $71 million budget invests in two new employees in blight reduction, but with just three full-time employees in the division now, Fields said it's still not enough. The problem is there simply aren't enough laborers, Fields said. I know this is a fragile budget, but I think we need at least 10 laborers. Should the city be doing the cleanup or enforcing the rules? Well, I, I think they need to right. do both. Um, the question I have is, do they have the money to, 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 to hire 10 more laborers? I mean, that, uh, that budget is so tight and, and fragile anyhow. I mean, I, I, I sure like to clean up the blight, but is the money there for, for, for a large program? Yeah, I, I was on the advisory board for the land bank for a couple of years, and, of course, they do a lot of demolition using grant money from the federal and state governments, and um, the demolition is part, and, of course, the cleanup is part of what they do, but what does the city do? I'm not that familiar with their program. Well, I think the reason that people are complaining about blight is that there isn't much of a program. So advancing more money to pay for people to work on a program that doesn't exist is sort of silly. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why we bring these things yeah. up. <laughs> right, so we can come yeah. to no conclusion. <laughs> yeah, I would like to see a better plan, but I think managerially speaking, that's sort of looking at the wrong end of the camel. You know, I, I'm struck when I drive around some neighborhoods here where you see burned-out houses that have been burned out for, for years just sitting there, and uh, nothing has happened to remove them. Well, there, I don't think there's a general... You know, they had that um, that master planning process that they went through several years ago? Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I recall. I don't, yeah, I don't think there's a general... Um, overall look at the city and all of the things that need to happen in order to tighten up the city itself so that it can be managed. Yeah, I'd say well, my main concern has been just declining resources uh, in terms of, 
of tax revenues and and other re, other revenue sources, it has not been in good shape for a long time, and it's been declining in large big part because of declining population and and tax base. Right, and it's 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 leading to what we talked about before: regional government. Yeah, that's that's right. And one one thing I've advocated for a long time. Yep. Well, a few more appearances uh, on this uh, roundtable, and, and Mark's going to end up being an expert on Flint and Flint politics. <laughs> <laughs> Take more notes, sir. To know. <laughs> no, the is- these issues are everywhere, though, Tom. That's I mean, true. Uh, That's true. It's, it's, it's not that different um, in certainly in large swaths of the South and other, other areas of the country where it's, it's all about is the population going up or is it going down? And if it's going down... Your revenues are shrinking, and uh, you, you, it's just very tough to get uh, new money to come in. Sometimes you get—I I imagine the Flint catastrophe got some additional funding to come in. Down here, uh, you know, the BP oil spill provided a lot of money that is still being divvied up, if you will. And uh, but when those sources of funds um, run dry. Uh, you're left with a, a bad dynamic that that is not easily addressed. Right. Are you in Alabama, Mark? I'm on the coast of Mississippi. If you know, Bobby, the area, the easternmost portion there is uh, Pascagoula. Mississippi only has about 76 miles of coastline. If you think about it, uh, Louisiana comes over, and then Alabama is sort of a mirror of it with the Florida panhandle coming over. Neither state oh. has a lot of coastline, if you will. But I'm on yeah, the Mississippi my, coastline. I have a lot of yeah, family yeah. down in, in the Mobile area, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. Mobile is only an hour away from where I am. Well, uh, you are you near Stone County? Stone County Yeah, a little bit north, not too far at yeah, all. Yeah, I had a good friend who edited a newspaper there, for a guy who worked at the Flint Journal and ex-student of mine, lived down there and edited the, the Stone County Press, I believe it was called, uh, for some time. Well, they That's have a good really middle. I can tell you, they have a good middle school baseball team. I know that from experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, my uh, my niece's daughter, one of her daughters, got a soccer scholarship to one of the southern um, state colleges down there in Mississippi a few years ago. So, um, you know, Bob Baumhauer. Have you heard of Bob Baumhauer? I don't. It just sounds vaguely familiar, but uh, is he a coach or? Uh... Well, he was a former Miami Dolphins, uh, University of Alabama football player. He now owns restaurants down there. And, okay. um, and he married my niece, and that was one of their daughters that went there. Yeah, I know that part of the country well. Well, Mobile, and I hate to say this, but Mobile, I mean, I'm a good friend with Bob Riley, who was the governor of Alabama for a while. He was a congressman as well. And uh, Mobile did a good job. They've attracted a lot of, uh, of investment and the shipping area Airbus and all sorts of stuff. Mobile is uh, a, a prosper, prosperous area. They're very, very good. They've done a little bit better than Mississippi down on the coast, I would suggest. Yeah, they're they're really booming. Um, my nephew owns not my niece, but my nephew owns a restaurant and a, a beauty parlor there, right there in downtown Mobile. Yeah, mm-hmm. we go over there. It's uh, it's there's a lot to be said for it. And they, you know, Alabama has got different regions, different areas, and the same thing is true in Mississippi. Right? Uh, you, it, but I would say this. We're, we live about four or five miles south of 10, and it's hard to believe it's the same road that goes all the way across the country over into 
Santa Monica. It's just a, it's really the this the diversity of this country is astounding. If you really go by the highways, anyway. Yeah, especially if you drive Highway Ten. Well, uh, getting back to some uh, a local thing here. Fourteen years after voters first approved a property tax to pay for medical care for the working poor. The program could be headed for a major shakeup. The Genesee County Board of Commissioners agreed uh, April 15th to prepare a request for proposals from organizations interesting or interested in administering the program after failing to reach an agreement on an updated contract with its current provider, the Genesee Health Plan. Uh, among the issues commissioners say have led to the stalemate as a provision of the most recent contract with GHP that excludes services to those incarcerated in the county jail waiting for their cases to be resolved. It's starting to sound to me like the Genesee Health Plan does not have the capacity to meet this community's needs, uh, said Commissioner uh, Dominique. Um, a Democrat from Flint Township, I have some concerns about how things have been going with Genesee Health Plan and how inclusive they've been. M Live, the Flint Journal, could not immediately reach Jim Milanowski, President and Chief Executive Officer of GHP, on Friday. Uh, but he said in an email to county commissioners last week that an amended contract with proposed changes, including removal of a clause that makes the incarcerated ineligible for services, should be postponed. Milanowski's email says GHP officials have concerns and questions about the changes the county has proposed and said they are unable to sign the agreement as written. Commissioners approved the amended contract, which would last until September 1st at their meeting Wednesday, and directed staff to prepare a request for proposals opening up the job to other groups in the future. And I want to say a couple of things before I ask the question. Um, Genesee Health Plan is a sponsor of this show, and Jim Milanowski is scheduled to be a guest on the show a week from tomorrow. So I'm curious mm. if he'll talk about this issue at all. But what happens to the millage money approved by county voters that funds GHP? Right. Is that, is that related to what's on the ballot for next month? No. Well, no. That, that's, a, that's a mental health issue on the next, next month, isn't it? I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, the, the thing about yeah, I the know. health infrastructure here is I'm not really clear on what's related to what. Hmm. Well, the Genesee Health Plan actually was uh, an outgrowth of... Uh, uh, some work that Archie uh, Archie Bailey, I believe, did when he was a county commissioner to provide a stopgap for people who fell through the cracks. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't qualify for Medicaid or Medicare, and they didn't have uh, employer-provided health benefits. So there was this uh, fund established, and uh, voters have continued to pass the millage that operates the Genesee Health Plan, um, and and they've been a uh, a pretty useful service to people, especially those people who have fallen into uh, short gaps in their coverage. Yeah, we, yeah. we had a, a good friend of ours had some serious health issues and was you know was very grateful to have that service around when when he needed it. Right. I know some people that have benefited from it also. Didn't Deb Cherry have something to do with that? Was she on the board? I know. Maybe. She was. Yeah, I think she was. 
Well, anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to talk to Dom and find out what he knows. Okay, well, the, the, city, yeah. the, the Flint City Clerk's Office will remain open to voters requesting absentee ballots from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. weekdays until the May 4th special election. The Flint Kirk, uh, Clerk's Office announced the weekday hours in a news release Friday as well as special hours 9 to 5 on May 1st, the Saturday before the election. Issues on the special election ballot include millages for Flint Public Safety and the uh, Mass Transportation Authority as well as a countywide millage for mental health services and renewal of the 911 surcharge. Um, I, and I just bring this up as a reminder that there is a special election coming up on May 4th uh, and to uh, encourage people to vote in their various communities. But uh, anybody have any comments besides uh, the one that I would come up with, uh, May the 4th be with you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that will remind me to get my ballot in the mail. I'll drop it nice. off to do that. That's yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, it'll, well, like most elections of that kind, it'll be, I'm sure, a very low turnout, considering there's relatively relatively low uh, low visibility issues. But low attention. For those kind of yeah. Well, Sandy. Yeah, but with the, I wonder with the absentee voting now being so uh, comprehensive, whether more people will vote than generally would. Yeah, I think that, that, may, that may increase it. That, that's true. Sandy and I have yeah. mailed in our ballots. Um, also, want to mention the city council petition deadline was yesterday and I called the city clerk's office this morning and uh, was jumping the gun a little bit because they still have to be certified but I will be getting a list of all the candidates there were about 50 that took petitions out and I have no idea how many have been turned in yet but I'm going to find out I, I saw a list on, on M Live last night now they may, they may not have been final yeah I looked um, and tried to, to find um a, a list, and that's what I called for this morning. That yeah, and there, there's a contest in every ward, apparently. Uh, what I saw. Well, that's well, good. Yeah, uh, Tom, are you going to have a, a candidate forum like you've done before? I don't know um, because those were done on location or remotely, and I, I don't know if we'll be at that point yet. Um, you know, the primary is in August. Um, President Biden says we should stay home till the Fourth of July. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm just not sure on the timing, but I will certainly invite all of the candidates to be on the show in some way or another. At some point, yeah. yeah. That would be good. That would be good. In, in fact, I, I think very likely that I will uh, probably set up nine days right after the Fourth of July. Um, to to do each ward um you know on a different day for nine days during that two-week period mm. that'd be a good idea because yeah, uh and there's some some fair so there are some well-known names who are coming back to run again some folks who had been on the council before uh, a number of new names that i'd never seen before at least on the list that i looked at so well, it'll 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 be interesting because we we're getting a little further away from being under emergency management, and so I think True. maybe more people are interested. We have to take a break here. When we come back, we'll look at some things in Lansing and move on to some national headlines as well as armchair politics continues with Paul Rosicki, Mark Everson, and Bobby Clayton Walton at the roundtable. We'll be right back.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program with uh, our roundtable. Paul Rosicki on the left, Mark Everson uh, sitting in for Henry Hatter on the right today, and we have uh, joining the roundtable political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Governor Gretchen Whitmer said on NBC's Meet the Press Sunday that recent... Uh, the recent surge in coronavirus cases that has made Michigan a national outlier is partly the result of a Michigan Supreme Court ruling that struck down a key law she has used to fight the pandemic. I have been sued by my legislature. I have lost in a Republican-controlled Michigan Supreme Court, and I don't have all of the exact same tools, Whitmer said after host Chuck Todd played her clips of previous statements that she had made that Todd suggested showed she has changed her tune about following the science to address the pandemic. On Sunday, Whitmer did say Michigan still has strong measures to keep people safe, including a face mask requirement and is still doing what we can. She also cited the success Michigan had early on during the pandemic when she imposed strict measures on business and other activities, which she said resulted in vast reservoirs of people who don't have antibodies who are susceptible to highly contagious new variants now circulating. Does Michigan's governor seem reluctant to cite noncompliance with public safety guidelines as responsible for the current surge? Hmm. I've heard um, I've heard some medical doctors say that those who yeah. are in the state, and they don't seem to be reluctant. But um, maybe she doesn't see the value in doing it because it won't make any difference. There was a sense of frustration when I saw that interview. I think. I mean, even though she said those things, that you had the sense that, considering all the, all the the uh, restrictions we've had. It is surprising that we're seeing that kind of a a spike here in Michigan. Yeah, I just suspect it's like telling your children not to play in the traffic, and then uh, you can't go out and drag them out of the street. They're just going to do what they're going to do. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Mark, what does it look like from the Gulf? Well, uh, we've had a different approach down here from the get-go. I've been struck, Tom, as I talk to friends all over the country. I've been... The, uh, the Northeast people have been locked down throughout this whole thing. I've, I've been, as I've listened on your show over the months, uh, you know, I think the attitude has been very much uh, stay at home and everything. Uh, hasn't been the case down here. People go about their business um, and they do their things. Now they wear masks and, uh, you know, there's a Mississippi because of underlying conditions has a very high rate of fatalities. We're like fifth in the country, higher than Michigan in terms of fatalities from the illness. But it's, mm. it's, all t- it's all tied to the underlying conditions, the obesity and the hypertension and, and uh, cardiovascular, other cardiovascular problems and things. So I, I think that people here, and, and as I may have mentioned before, my kids' schools have been open throughout for in-person learning. The 19 schools in the school district not one has closed since August when they went back. So 
people here are, are doing relatively well, and the economy has done better than most places. Now, it's true Mississippi is the poorest state in the country, but uh, God God knows how it would have been if we had uh, really stood down entirely. So I, I think what's happening more broadly is that, unfortunately, it goes back to what we said about earlier about the vaccine. Uh, people, a certain cohort in the population, 20, 30, 40 percent, whatever it is, they said, no, I'm not going to get the vaccine. They rushed this. I've had people tell me that, uh, particularly black people who are, um, have a feeling that, you know, there was a lot of a lot of discussion of this in terms of the race, racial issues. And a lot of people are taking the view, I'm going to let other people get vaccinated. There'll be herd immunity and then I won't have to do anything. And that puts us in a very tricky dynamic right now where, uh, yes, People are frustrated, so they're going to go back and, and be unsafe. They won't wear the mask when they're out doing things now. People here aren't necessarily gathering in huge groups without the mask. Uh, they're being somewhat careful. But I think we're at a dangerous point right now for all the convergence of the people who don't want to get vaccinated but who are going to be the, I guess somebody termed it, free riders. And uh, yeah. uh, tough, we're in a tough spot as a country right now. You know what worries me is that in, I suspect we're going to deal with this current virus as a nation reasonably well, but it's going to keep percolating around the world. And a year from now, there's going to be some 97th variant of this virus that does not respond to the to the current vaccines, and we're going to end up doing this all over again. That's what concerns me in the, in the, the future. Yeah. I think, for me, uh, looking at it from a, a governmental administrative point of view, I, I really worry about the overwhelming of our medical facilities and um, the medical staff and the people that are the health care providers because every time people, even if people don't die from it, just the very fact that they contract the disease badly enough to have to be hospitalized, it puts a great strain on that infrastructure, our, our health care infrastructure. Well, and there are a lot of uh, public policy decisions to be taken, Bobby. I'm on the uh, parent advisor committee of the school district down here, which has about 7,000 kids in 19 schools, as I mentioned. And I, I said to them recently, I said, what's the posture going to be on vaccination? And they, some people said, what do you mean? I said, well, we require certain vaccinations before some kid goes to school. And, and um, are we going to do that for, for kids when they come back to school in the fall? Uh, because now, as you know, Pfizer is put in for 12 to 15-year-olds to get the vaccine. They've asked for that approval. And uh, because I suspect this is not going to be like some of the vaccinations. It sounds like it's going to be more like a flu shot where you've got to be the variants that you're discussing. And uh, and every year there may be some new version of this. Are we going to require that you have to get a shot? Uh, this is a, and right down, down here in a conservative area, there's a real reluctance to give the government that authority. And, and what it does is it further marginalizes people who are sort of um, semi-detached already. And that they, the, the people who are suffering the most here are the kids who haven't gone back to school. There has been a virtual learning option down here. Uh, but the school district is so concerned about the lack of performance of some of the kids there who are disproportionately in the minority groups that they're going to eliminate that option to try and force those kids back into school next year, which, which I think is the only way to, to, uh, to get the system working again. Yeah, and to require vaccination. I know I posted something on my Facebook page this week because it occurred to me that 
Congress has the ultimate authority over interstate commerce. And certainly um, the idea that health care and vaccination can be construed as part of interstate commerce because every single business and every single customer of every single business is in a, engaging in interstate commerce. So Congress could require uh, vaccination at certain levels, and uh, I don't see that happening, but it is something that could be a tool to be used in the future if it becomes necessary. Well, let me see if I can uh, squeeze this in here before the uh, before the top of the hour. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer left the state more than a month ago to visit her elderly father who suffers from a chronic illness, a spokesperson confirmed on Monday after the trip was first reported by uh, MERS News. In the past six months, she has left the state three times, once for the inauguration, once to assist her elderly father who is battling a chronic illness and once to visit with Michigan's National Guard troops. All trips were very brief, two full days or less, closely followed public health guidelines, and were made when Michigan's daily positivity rate was in the low single digits, um, according to uh, Whitmer Communications Director Tiffany Brown. Why is it so difficult for some people to differentiate between trips like this and the governor and other officials admonishing participants in large spring break gatherings. Hmm, I don't know. I mean, I... I, I you understand what I mean? She's, she said, you know, told Michigan college kids, you know, don't, don't go to spring break. Right. Don't go down to Florida. Don't be part of the big parties <clears throat> down at the, on the beaches and so on. And, um, and, and then she's being, you know, slammed for taking these isolated trips. Yeah, I think the public is going to be somewhat forgiving, particularly in the trip to see her ailing father and so forth, and even the other ones, too, that are you know, more official trips. But I yeah. I think the public will make a distinction here, even though it's kind of a, a hot-button bubble right now. It's a gotcha. Yeah, but it doesn't sound real to me, Tom. I mean, this is not Newsom going to some... $6,000 dinner in Napa Valley with his funders. I mean, you <laughs> right. know, that's a black eye, <laughs> yeah. deservedly so. But the, the cases you're mentioning, I mean, uh, she, but I, I don't know. I mean, as I step back a, a little bit, she seems to have uh, caused a certain amount of unnecessary noise. Now, maybe that's to her benefit. I mean, you compare you compare her, I've got to say this, compared to Cuomo or Newsom, she's done relatively well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's a sign of immaturity on the part of the people that aren't able to, descend, you know, they just can't differentiate. Either that or they don't want to. Or, or you know, any reason they can find to attack her for political reasons. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask this. Did you think it would have been wiser for her to announce ahead of time for these trips? and explain why she was doing it, because it, sort of, it sort of sounded like she was hiding the fact she had taken the trips. I'm not sure she did, but it sounded like that. Well, the one to see yeah. her dad was kind of personal. Yeah, obviously there. But And, and yeah. she did make a little noise about going to Washington for the National Guard troops. Yeah, yeah, I recall that. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of what she's done has been part of her, her uh, official calendar, Anybody that wants to know where she's going should be able to yeah. find out. Oh, is that not That's covered right. by the Freedom of Information Act? I don't know. Well, we got a break is, there. The thing, I got to quickly say, Tom, it's like 
it's all part of the crazy CDC where they said it's safe to travel, but don't travel unless you have to. I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have to take a short break for uh, top of the hour uh, show ID, and we'll be back with the second half right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. (laughs) 